When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We want to know what's happening in national politics. So we're going to go to the Real Clear Politics White House correspondent, Phil Wegman. Phil, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. All right. So we're four months before the first GOP primary, which is mind-blowing. I'm feeling that emoji of the exploding brain. Um, Phil, you've been following Nikki Haley around on the hustings, and I believe she's been in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, um, and I'm interested to see, she's getting a little more, uh, shall we say cojones, uh, going, going against Trump. And I'm always so interested to see these Republican candidates trying to thread that needle, not being too offensive to the base or to the man himself, but also wanting to show that they're different. How do you think she's doing? It's early, but I think that what we're hearing from Nikki Haley is largely a question about electability. It's not so different from what we heard from Biden folks back in the 2020 Democratic primary. He's basically going to voters, especially ones in Iowa who take this very, very seriously, and saying, you might not get everything you want in a primary, but you should couch that Uh, in the larger interest, which is finding someone who can defeat Joe Biden in November. And so that's the argument that she's on the road with currently. But, Laura, I, I totally agree with you. I think that this primary is going to be fascinating because while we've seen Donald Trump, uh, attacked and critiqued from the left, and sometimes, you know, justifiably so, of course, what we haven't seen is the critique from conservatives on the right. Mm -hmm. And they are absolutely tied up in knots about how do they attack the man without alienating the man's uh, supporters. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. And and I wonder if part of it is, obviously, they don't want to alienate the base, but they also don't want to become a target of his very effective and withering ridicule. Uh, Mm -hmm. Low energy Jeb never recovered are we going to have putting fingers DeSantis now? I mean, who's next? He's, and, and the money that MAGA, whatever the name is of the committee, is pouring into attacking DeSantis is really quite chilling. Absolutely. Um, I was not at all surprised to see Donald Trump's super PAC, MAGA Inc., go after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as putting fingers. And <laughs> I, Did you just see the ad? It's horrible. Yeah, there, there's there's no um, there, there's no nowhere that they won't um, stoop, and I think that that was just a you know a hit that was designed to do one thing, not necessarily change the mind uh, of voters, but instead send a message to Santos, which is this is going to be ugly, mm. it's going to be difficult. Are you sure you want to jump in? She obviously has to get through a primary, but I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the general because. Hi, it's Michelle here, by the way. When, I, when I'm speaking with folks here in New York City, um, a lot of my Jewish friends who are Democratic voters, hardcore Democratic voters, but they've grown increasingly concerned about the anti-Israel part of the Democratic Party and see Nikki Haley and what she did at the U.N. 
and and they and they wonder like wow is she somebody who could be acceptable to both sides so she's got an element to her that that has broader appeal but I, I you know I just don't know we're back to this question can she get through the primary yeah can she get past the the meat grinder that is Donald Trump and and does she get a nickname um, one yeah. thing that is unique about Nikki Haley is that she was the rare cabinet member to leave the Trump White House on good graces. Um, she didn't get fired in the middle of the night. There wasn't a tweet. Instead, uh, he sent her off after a you know press gaggle in the Oval Office. And we haven't seen him go after her you know that hard yet. Um, and I think it's because, you know, there's some seriousness behind um, former Ambassador Nikki Haley. I mean, you, you mentioned it, uh, her time at the U.N. And I, I think that what I was impressed by um, in Iowa was her ability to talk about foreign policy, but then marry it to very real issues on the ground. So it wasn't, you know, this academic exercise. Instead, you know, she's at a, a pig farm in Denison, and mm-hmm. she's talking about the U.N. and her experience there, sure. But it's in the larger context of, hey, I want to stand up for pork producers in this country. And, oh, by the way, uh, the reason why you're not getting as much uh, per, um, you know, per pig is because China's not playing by the rules in the World Trade Organization. Hmm. And we need to stand up to them. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that I think is, is really interesting. She, ha- she is very good uh, when it comes to retail politics. Uh, I saw more than one voter just get absorbed. Um, you know, during the uh, the photograph portion of these events, and she really relates on a, a personal level. You know, if you look at her resume, it's almost like she was built in the basement of the Heritage Foundation as the the perfect presidential candidate. But mm-hmm. you know, does she come at a time that's not opportune? I'm Laura Curran. I'm in the studio with Michelle Caruso Cabrera, and we're speaking with Phil Wegman, White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. Uh, you know, one other question I have for you about the Nikki Haley before we move on to the other stuff is the news is cluttered with Trump's legal issues. And did you get a sense from her uh, a frustration of breaking through and getting her message out through this clutter? Absolutely. Um, a big part of her stump speech is telling Republican voters that they need to stop with the complaining and the whining. <laughs> and so I, I put the question to her directly. Does she think that her former boss complains or whines too much? And her answer was that he was focused on the past. And she agrees that he's been treated unfairly, something that you know conservative voters want to hear, that he's been treated unfairly um, by uh, you know the Manhattan district attorney. But – her argument is if we focus on the past, uh, we're not going to be prepared for the future. And she took it to Republicans, pointing out that they don't win popular votes in elections anymore yeah. and that something needs to change. Um, I think that that might be a, a bit of a bank shot for a lot of these uh, Republican primary voters who you know, are, are going to be voting on a motion um, and are going to be voting uh, – you know, perhaps to try and, and stick it to, you know, the Biden administration or, or Democrats or just generally to voice their displeasure. Um, but the, the Nikki Haley argument is I can win in November against Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's got a little less competition. Mike Pompeo dropped out and Virginia mm-hmm. Governor Glenn Youngkin says he's pressing pause on exploring a run. So uh, it's early days and it'll be interesting to see what happens. 
Now, I have a question for you. So when you're, when you're not traveling around following candidates, you're one of those people sitting in the White House briefing room. And I've seen, I was having fun watching your videos, uh, getting ready to talk to you today. You had a, you got scolded by the president recently. Uh, no. what was that like? Uh, so that was, um, it's been a while now, actually, although time really is flying. Um, it was during, uh, President Biden's February press conference. That's what it was. And uh, it was ahead of the midterm. So I think this is actually last year. Um, I was asking, asking him about his comparison of Republicans to uh, Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. And I couldn't quite finish my question uh, before he interrupted and, and sort of snapped back um, that I had, had misread his quote. Um, you know, he, he took it a, a bit personally. It's always that was a little uh, worrisome. You don't you don't want to um, draw the ire of uh, you know of the president, and unfortunately, I've drawn the uh, the frustration of the previous president too. He didn't, you know, President Trump didn't like my my question about uh, some of the things that were going on during COVID. Well, if you're but, knowing uh, both of them, you're probably doing something right as a journalist. I, I hope so, but I I think that um, you know this is really interesting, um, and it's a little bit of inside baseball, but. In the White House press corps, yes, we hear from Press Secretary um, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre and, and before we heard from Jen Psaki. Uh, but it is interesting because there's a little bit of whiplash. We went from covering Donald Trump where the access was incredible. You, had, mm. you never had to wonder what he was thinking because he would tweet it out. And then on his way to Marine One, he would stop and talk to reporters for you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes or – during a press conference, he would go on for hours. With with Biden, he has um, much more of a professional team around him. If he's going to make remarks, uh, more often than not, they're planned out. And so um, in the press, our, our bias is, of course, always towards more access and transparency. But we, we don't see him as much as we would like. Hmm. Uh, so do you get the sense that Corinne Jean-Pierre is doing a good job? Is she is she trusted by your colleagues in the press corps? I mean, it's, it's a difficult question. Uh, there's a lot of frustration. Um, mm. And a, a good example of that is uh, last Friday, um, excuse me, last last Thursday, right before Good Friday, the administration dropped their summary of a hot wash review of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And they gave it to reporters 10 minutes before the briefing. Mm. It was a 15-page document. The withdrawal from Afghanistan was very complicated. It's a, a major event. Um, they dropped their review literally 10 minutes before the briefing, and uh, reporters in that room were scurrying to prepare. Um, I, you know, I, to be completely honest, uh, there, there is some frustration um, that sometimes, uh, you know, both from Corinne Jean-Pierre and then also before her, uh, Jen Psaki, that there wasn't always a, a willingness to be you know, completely forthright. Um, you know, we, we saw this press secretary have to correct the record, um, you know, earlier this spring when it came to uh, President Biden's handling of classified documents. Um, you know, certainly, you know, th- there is some frustration also that um, she's pretty buttoned up uh, mm-hmm. and, and doesn't elaborate as, as much as uh, reporters would like to see. But um, it's a tough job. I don't. I don't know um, how I would do it. Uh, yeah, I know. That's what I say yeah. to people. It's it's much harder than you think to stand there mm-hmm. and represent and represent the president and answer all of these questions 
so many out of left field that I, I cut her a lot of slack. I know she gets a lot of criticism, but it's she's got her marching orders, too. Yeah, and I would say this. I think that, um, you know, Saki was very willing to mix it up with reporters. So mm. if she did not like the premise of one of your questions, um, you know, she was ready to go round for round. Kareem seems to have um, a mandate to lower the temperature in that room. And so if she doesn't have a answer, um, she's not going to go toe to toe with you so much as she's going to say, um, you know, I, I don't have anything for you on that or sort of dismiss the, the topic um, altogether. But to their credit, I think that both Jen Psaki and Corinne Jean-Pierre, they hustle and they work their way around that room and they call on reporters mm. knowing um, more often than not that they're probably going to disagree with the question, but they're, they're still willing to take it. And um, I think they, they deserve credit for that. You weren't around during the times when these weren't carried live, uh, I'm assuming that, you know, you're younger than that. But I wonder if a lot of this has changed because they're carried live on TV. Everything is a performance. The reporters are performing. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I think mm-hmm. there was a time when these were meant to be real information delivery mechanisms mm-hmm. uh, because you didn't have instant access on email. I mean, there was a time when email didn't exist, right? I mean, you did this, you came to these events as a reporter to get information. And now it's more, I don't know, I feel like it's turned into something else. It's performative almost. And I would imagine you don't go out for a drink with the sources and hang out with them like you used to because everybody has to be so guarded in this age of Twitter and, and cell phones. So when I, when I started this job in 2019, one of the first things that I did is I called as many former press secretaries as I could to get a sense of how that room operated. And this was when uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was just not doing a daily briefing. Trump had uh, dismissed them. And I think that, you know, for um, five or six months, there wasn't any daily briefing in that room. There was even dust on the podium. And their excuse was that reporters were misbehaving. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, when the cameras are off, it is much more of a factual exchange. You know, I need this information. You know, when is the president going? Uh, where is he going? What is he doing? That sort of thing. But um, I was talking to Mike McCurry, who was President Clinton's press secretary mm-hmm. uh, in the lead up to the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And he told me that he knew the moment when things changed uh, completely was when his mother called him and told him that he was sweating uh, on air during the briefing. He didn't know that she was watching live um, because he didn't know that the cameras were were, were live. Um, But, but in that moment, you know, he, he draws that as sort of the delineation of, of when things change. And I think the other thing is that there are cameras in that room and they're not pointed at the press secretary. They're pointed at the reporters. And so when you go into that room with your question, you know, yes, you want the answer, but every reporter in that room knows that not only is their editor watching, but also their family and friends might, you know, catch a clip, um, that their sources are paying attention, that, um, you know, bookers and producers are also tuning in. And so it, it becomes less of a, all right, I need this information to file my story on deadline. And instead it becomes, look, I, I have to be performative. I have to show that I'm you know, speaking truth to power. Real Clear Politics White House correspondent Phil Wegman, I want to thank you so much for joining me and Michelle on Cut to the Chase. Thank you so much.